The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Chapter 1 A Long Expected Party Part 2 Bilbo Baggins called it a party, but it was really a variety of entertainments rolled into one. Practically everybody living near was invited. A very few were overlooked by accident, but as they turned up all the same, that did not matter. Many people from other parts of the Shire were also asked, and there were even a few from outside the borders. Bilbo met the guests and additions at the new white gate in person. He gave away presents to all and sundry. The latter were those who went out again by a back way and came in again by the gate. Hobbits give presents to other people on their own birthdays, not very expensive ones as a rule, and not so lavishly as on this occasion, but it was not a bad system. Actually, in Hobbiton and Bywater, every day in the year was somebody's birthday, so that every hobbit in those parts had a fair chance of at least one present at least once a week, but they never got tired of them. On this occasion, the presents were unusually good. The hobbit children were so excited that for a while they almost forgot about eating. There were toys, the like of which they had never seen before, all beautiful and some obviously magical. Many of them had indeed been ordered a year before and had come all the way from the mountain and from Dale and were of real dwarf make. When every guest had been welcomed and was finally inside the gate, there were songs, dances, music, games, and, of course, food and drink. There were three official meals, lunch, tea, and dinner, or supper. But lunch and tea were marked chiefly by the fact that at those times, all the guests were sitting down and eating together. At other times, there were merely lots of people eating and drinking continuously from 11Zs until 6.30, when the fireworks started. The fireworks were by Gandalf. They were not only brought by him, but designed and made by him. And the special effects, set pieces, and flights of rockets were let off by him. But there was also a generous distribution of squibs, crackers, wrappers, sparklers, torches, dwarf candles, elf fountains, goblin barkers, and thunderclaps. They were all superb. The art of Gandalf improved with age. There were rockets like a flight of scintillating birds singing with sweet voices. There were green trees with trunks of dark smoke. Their leaves opened like a whole spring unfolding in a moment, and their shining branches dropped glowing flowers down upon the astonished hobbits, disappearing with a sweet scent just before they touched their upturned faces. There were fountains of butterflies that flew glittering into the trees. There were pillars of colored fires that rose and turned into eagles, or sailing ships, or a feralax of flying swans. There was a red thunderstorm and a shower of yellow rain. There was a forest of silver spears that sprang suddenly into the air with a yell like an embattled army, and came down again into the water with a hiss like a hundred hot snakes. And there was also one last surprise, in honor of Bilbo, and it startled the hobbits exceedingly, as Gandalf intended. The lights went out. A great smoke went up. It shaped itself like a mountain seen in the distance. 
and began to glow at the summit. It spouted green and scarlet flames. Out flew a red golden dragon, not life-size, but terribly life-like. Fire came from his jaws, his eyes glared down. There was a roar, and he whizzed three times over the heads of the crowd. They all ducked, and many fell flat on their faces. The dragon passed like an express train, turned a somersault, and burst over Bywater with a deafening explosion. That is the signal for supper, said Bilbo. The pain and alarm vanished at once, and the prostrate hobbits leaped to their feet. There was a splendid supper for everyone, for everyone that is, except those invited to the special family dinner party. This was held in the great pavilion with the tree. The invitations were limited to twelve dozen, a number also called by the hobbits one gross, though the word was not considered proper to use of people. And the guests were selected from all the families to which Bilbo and Frodo were related, with the addition of a few special unrelated friends, such as Gandalf. Many young hobbits were included and present by parental permission, for hobbits were easy going with their children in the matter of sitting up late, especially when there was a chance of getting them a free meal. Bringing up young hobbits took a lot of provender. There were many bagginses and boffins, and also many toques and brandy butts. There were various grubs, relations of Bilbo Baggins' grandmother, and various chubs, connections of his toque grandfather, and a selection of burroses, bulgers, brace girdles, rock houses, good bodies, horn blowers, and proudfoots. Some of these were only very distantly connected with Bilbo, and some had hardly ever been in Hobbiton before, as they lived in remote corners of the Shire. The Saxville Bagginses were not forgotten. Otho and his wife, Lobelia, were present. They disliked Bilbo and detested Frodo, but so magnificent was the invitation card, written in golden ink, that they had felt it was impossible to refuse. Besides, their cousin, Bilbo, had been specializing in food for many years, and his table had a high reputation. All the 144 guests expected a pleasant feast, though they rather dreaded the after-dinner speech of their host, an inevitable item. He was liable to drag in bits of what he called poetry, and sometimes, after a glass or two, would allude to the absurd adventures of his mysterious journey. The guests were not disappointed. They had a very pleasant feast, in fact, an engrossing entertainment, rich, abundant, varied, and prolonged. The purchase of provisions fell almost to nothing throughout the district in the ensuing weeks, but as Bilbo's catering had depleted the stocks of most of the stores, cellars, and warehouses for miles around, that did not matter much. After the feast, more or less, came the speech. Most of the company were, however, now in tolerant mood, at that delightful stage which they called filling up the corners. They were sipping their favorite drinks and nibbling at their favorite dainties, and their fears were forgotten. They were prepared to listen to anything and to cheer at every full stop. My dear people, began Bilbo, rising in his place. Hear, 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 they shouted, and kept on repeating it in chorus seeming reluctant to follow their own advice. Bilbo left his place and went and stood on a chair under the illuminated tree. 
The light of the lanterns fell on his beaming face. The golden buttons shone on his embroidered silk waistcoat. They could all see him standing, waving one hand in the air. The other was in his trouser pocket. My dear Bagginses and Bofins, he began again, and my dear Tooks and Brandybucks and Grubs and Chubs and Burroughses and Hornblowers and Bulgers, Brace Girdles, Good Bodies, Rockhouses and Proudfoots. Proud feet, shouted an elderly hobbit from the back of the pavilion. His name, of course, was Proudfoot, and well-merited. His feet were large, exceptionally furry, and both were on the table. Proud foots, repeated Bilbo. Also my good Saxville Bagginses, that I welcome at last to bag in. Today is my 111th birthday. I'm a 11-1 today. Hooray, hooray, many happy returns, they shouted, and they hammered joyously on the tables. Bilbo was doing splendidly. This was the sort of stuff they liked, short and obvious. I hope you are all enjoying yourselves as much as I am. Deafening cheers, cries of yes and no, noises of trumpets and horns, pipes and flutes, and other musical instruments. There were, as has been said, many young hobbits present. Hundreds of musical crackers had been pulled. Most of them bore the mark of Dale on them, which did not convey much to most of the hobbits, but they all agreed they were marvelous crackers. They contained instruments, small, but of perfect make and enchanting tones. Indeed, in one corner, some of the young Tooks and Brandybucks, supposing Uncle Bilbo to have finished, since he had plainly said all that was necessary, now got up in the impromptu orchestra and began the merry dance tune. Master Everard Took and Miss Melilot Brandybuck got on a table and with bells in their hands began to dance the spring ring, a pretty dance, but rather vigorous. But Bilbo had not finished. Seizing a horn from a youngster nearby, he blew three loud hoots. The noise subsided. I shall not keep you long, he cried, cheers from all the assembly. I have called you all together for a purpose. Something in the way he said this made an impression. There was almost silence, and one or two of the Tooks pricked up their ears. Indeed, for three purposes. First of all, to tell you that I am immensely fond of you all and that eleventy-one years is too short a time to live among such excellent and admirable hobbits. Tremendous outburst of approval. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. This was unexpected and rather difficult. There was some scattered clapping, but most of them were trying to work it out and see if it came to a compliment. Secondly, to celebrate my birthday, cheers again. I should say, our birthday, for it is, of course, also the birthday of my heir and nephew, Frodo. He comes of age and into his inheritance today. Some perfunctory clapping by the elders, and some loud shouts of Frodo, Frodo, jolly old Frodo, from the juniors. The Saxville Bagginses scowled and wondered what was meant by coming into his inheritance. Together we score 144. Your numbers were chosen to fit this remarkable total. 
One gross, if I may use the expression. No cheers. This was ridiculous. Many of the guests, and especially the Saxville Bagginses, were insulted, feeling sure they had only been asked to fill up the required number, like goods in a package. One gross indeed, vulgar expression. It is also, if I may be allowed to refer to ancient history, the anniversary of my arrival by Beryl at Eskaroth on the Long Lake, though the fact that it was my birthday slipped my memory on that occasion. I was only fifty-one then, and birthdays did not seem so important. The banquet was very splendid, however, though I had a bad cold at the time, I remember, and I could only say, Thank you very much. I now repeat it more correctly. Thank you very much for coming to my little party. Abstinent silence. They all feared that a song or some poetry was now imminent, and they were getting bored. Why couldn't he stop talking and let them drink his health? But Bilbo did not sing or recite. He paused for a moment. Thirdly and finally, he said, I wish to make an announcement. He spoke this last word so loudly and suddenly that everyone sat up who still could. I regret to announce that, though, as I said, eleventy-one years is far too short a time to spend among you. This is the end. I am going. I am leaving now. Goodbye. He stepped down and vanished. There was a blinding flash of light and the guests all blinked. When they opened their eyes, Bilbo was nowhere to be seen. One hundred and forty-four flabbergasted hobbits sat back speechless. Old Odo Proudfoot removed his feet from the table and stamped. Then there was a dead silence until suddenly, after several deep breaths, every Baggins, Bofin, Took, Brandybuck, Grub, Chub, Burrows, Bulger, Bracegirdle, Brockhouse, Goodbody, Hornblower, and Proudfoot began to talk at once. It was generally agreed that the joke was in very bad taste and more food and drink were needed to cure the guests of shock and annoyance. He's mad, I always said so, was probably the most popular comment. Even the Tooks, with a few exceptions, thought Bilbo's behavior was absurd. For the moment, most of them took it for granted that his disappearance was nothing more than a ridiculous prank. But old Rory Brandybuck was not so sure. Neither age nor an enormous dinner had clouded his wits, and he said to his daughter-in-law, Esmeralda, There's something fishy in this, my dear. I believe that Mad Baggins is off again. Silly old fool. But why worry? He hasn't taken the victuals with him. He called loudly to Frodo to send the wine round again. Frodo was the only one present who had said nothing. For some time he had sat silent beside Bilbo's empty chair and ignored all remarks and questions. He had enjoyed the joke, of course, even though he had been in the know. He had difficulty in keeping from laughter at the indignant surprise of the guests, but at the same time he felt deeply troubled. He realized suddenly that he loved the old hobbit dearly. Most of the guests went on eating and drinking and discussing Bilbo Baggins's oddities past and present, but the Saxville Bagginses had already departed in wrath. 
Frodo did not want to have any more to do with the party. He gave orders for some more wine to be served. Then he got up and drained his own glass silently to the health of Bilbo and slipped out of the pavilion. As for Bilbo Baggins, even while he was making his speech, he had been fingering the golden ring in his pocket, his magic ring that he had kept secret for so many years. As he stepped down, he slipped it on his finger, and he was never seen by any hobbit in Hobbiton again. He walked briskly back to his hole and stood for a moment listening with a smile in the din of the pavilion and to the sounds of merrymaking in the other parts of the field. Then he went in. He took off his party clothes, folded up and wrapped in tissue paper his embroidered silk waistcoat, and put it away. Then he put on quickly some old, untidy garments and fastened round his waist a worn leather belt. On it he hung a short sword in a battered black leather scabbard. From a locked drawer, smelling of mothballs, he took out an old cloak and hood. They had been locked up as if they were very precious, but they were so patched and weather-stained that their original color could hardly be guessed. It might have been dark green. They were rather too large for him. He then went into his study and from the large strong box took out a bundle wrapped in old clothes and a leather-bound manuscript and also a large bulky envelope. The book and bundle he stuffed into the top of a heavy bag that was standing there already nearly full. Into the envelope he slipped his golden ring and its fine chain and then sealed it and addressed it to Frodo. At first he put it on the mantelpiece, but suddenly he removed it and stuck it in his pocket. At that moment the door opened and Gandalf came quickly in. Hello, said Frodo. I wondered if you would turn up. Well, I'm glad to find you visible, cried the wizard sitting down in a chair. I wanted to catch you and have a few final words. I suppose you feel that everything has gone off splendidly and according to plan. Yes, I do, said Bilbo, though that flash was surprising. It quite startled me, let alone the others. A little addition of your own, I suppose. It was. You have wisely kept that ring secret all these years. It seemed to me necessary to give your guests something else that would seem to explain your sudden vanishment. And would spoil my joke. You're an interfering old busybody, laughed Bilbo, but I expect you know best, as usual. I do, when I know anything. But I don't feel so sure about this whole affair. It has now come to the final point. You have had your joke and alarmed or offended most of your relations and given the whole Shire something to talk about for nine days or ninety-nine more likely. Are you going any further? Yes, I am. I feel I need a holiday. A very long holiday, as I have told you before. Probably a permanent holiday. I don't expect I shall return. In fact, I don't mean to. I have made all arrangements. I am old, Gandalf. I don't look it, but I am beginning to feel it in my heart of hearts. Well preserved indeed, he snorted. Why, I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean. Like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. That can't be right. 
I need to change, or something. Gandalf looked curiously and closely at him. No, it, it does not seem right, he said thoughtfully. No, after all, I believe your plan is probably the best. Well, I've made up my mind anyway. I want to see mountains again, Gandalf. Mountains. And then find somewhere where I can rest. In peace and quiet, without a lot of relatives prying around and a string of confounded visitors hanging on the bell. I might find somewhere where I can finish my book. I've thought of a nice ending for it. And he lived happily ever after, to the end of his days. Gandalf laughed. I hope he will, but nobody will read the book, however it ends. Oh, they may in years to come. Frodo has read some already as far as it has gone. You'll keep an eye on Frodo, won't you? Yes, I will. Two eyes as often as I can spare them. He would come with me, of course, if I asked him. In fact, he offered to once, just before the party. He does not really want to yet. I want to see the wild country again before I die, and the mountains. But he is still in love with the Shire, with woods and fields and little rivers. He ought to be comfortable here. I am leaving everything to him, of course, except a few ornaments. I hope he will be happy when he gets used to being on his own. It's time he was his own master now. Everything, said Gandalf. The ring as well. You agreed to that, you remember. Well, uh, uh, yes, I, I suppose so, stammered Bilbo. Where is it? In an envelope, if you must know, said Bilbo impatiently. There, on the mantelpiece. Well, no. Here's his in my pocket, he hesitated. Isn't that odd now, he said softly to himself. Yet, after all, why not? Why shouldn't it stay there? Gandalf looked again very hard at Bilbo, and there was a gleam in his eyes. I think, Bilbo, he said quietly, I should leave it behind. Don't you want to? Well, yes. And no. Now it comes to it. I don't like parting with a stall, I may say. And I don't really see why I should. Why do you want me to? He asked and a curious change came over his voice. It was sharp with suspicion and annoyance. You are always badgering me about my ring, but you have never bothered me about the other things that I got on my journey. No, but I had to badger you, said Gandalf. I wanted the truth. It was important. Magic rings are, well, magical, and they are rare and curious. I was professionally interested in your ring, you may say. I still am. I should like to know where it is if you go wandering again. Also, I think you have had it quite long enough. You won't need it anymore, Bilbo, unless I am quite mistaken. Bilbo flushed, and there was an angry light in his eyes. His kindly face grew hard. Why not? he cried. And what business is it of yours, anyway, to know what I do with my own things? It is my own. I found it. It came to me. Yes, yes, said Gandalf. There is no need to get angry. If I am, it is your fault, said Bilbo. It is mine, I tell you, my own, my precious. 
Yes, my precious. The wizard's face remained grave and attentive, and only a flicker in his deep eyes showed that he was startled and indeed alarmed. It has been called that before, he said, but not by you. But I say it now, and why not? Even if Gollum said the same once. It's not his now, but mine, and I shall keep it, I say. Gandalf stood up. He spoke sternly. You would be a fool if you knew, Bilbo, he said. You make that clearer with every word you say. It has gone far too much on you. Let it go, and then you can go yourself and be free. I'll do as I choose and go as I please, said Bilbo obstinately. Now, now, my dear Hobbit, said Gandalf. All your life we have been friends, and you owe me something. Come. Do as you promised. Give it up. Well, if you want my ring yourself, say so, cried Bilbo. But you won't get it. I won't give my precious away, I tell you. His hand strayed to the hilt of his small sword. Gandalf's eyes flashed. It will be my turn to get angry soon, he said. If you say that again, I shall. Then you will see Gandalf the Grey and cloaked took a step towards the hobbit, and he seemed to grow tall and menacing. His shadow filled the little room. Bilbo backed away to the hall, breathing hard, his hand clutching at his pocket. They stood for a while facing one another, and the air of the room tingled. Gandalf's eyes remained bent on the hobbit. Slowly, his hands relaxed, and he began to tremble. I don't know what has come over you, Gandalf, he said. You have never been like this before. What is it all about? It is mine, isn't it? I found it, and Gollum would have killed me if I hadn't kept it. I'm not a thief, whatever he said. I have never called you one, Gandalf answered, and I am not one either. I am not trying to rob you, but to help you. I wish you would trust me as you used. He turned away, and the shadow passed. He seemed to dwindle again to an old gray man, bent and troubled. Bilbo drew his hand over his eyes. I am sorry, he said, but I felt so queer, and yet it would be a relief in a way not to be bothered with any more. It has been so growing on my mind lately. Sometimes I have felt it was like an eye looking at me, and I am always wanting to put it on and disappear. Don't you know? Or wondering if it is safe and pulling it out to make sure. I tried locking it up, but I found I couldn't rest without it in my pocket. I don't know why, and I don't seem able to make up my mind. Then trust mine, said Gandalf. It is quite made up. Go and leave it behind. Stop possessing it. Give it to Frodo and I will look after him. Bilbo stood for a moment, tense and undecided. Presently, he sighed. All right, he said with an effort. I will. Then he shrugged his shoulders and smiled rather ruefully. After all, that's what this party business was all about, really. To give away lots of birthday presents and somehow make it easier to give it away at the same time. It hasn't made it any easier in the end. But it would be a pity to waste all my preparations. 
It would quite spoil the joke. Indeed, it would take away the only point I ever saw in the affair, said Gandalf. Very well, said Bilbo. It goes to Frodo with all the rest. He drew a deep breath. And now I really must be starting, or somebody else will catch me. I have said goodbye, and I couldn't bear to do it all over again. He picked up his bag and moved to the door. You have still got the ring in your pocket, said the wizard. Well, so I have, cried Bilbo, and my will and all the other documents too. You had better take it and deliver it for me. That will be safest. No, don't give the ring to me, said Gandalf. Put it on the mantelpiece. It will be safe enough there till Frodo comes. I shall wait for him. Bilbo took out the envelope, but just as he was about to set it by the clock, his hand jerked back, and the packet fell on the floor. Before he could pick it up, the wizard stooped and seized it, and set it in its place. A spasm of anger passed swiftly over the hobbit's face again. Suddenly, it gave way to a look of relief, and a laugh. Well, that's that, he said. Now I'm off. They went out into the hall. Bilbo chose his favorite stick from the stand, then he whistled. Three dwarves came out of different rooms where they had been busy. Is everything ready? asked Bilbo. Everything packed and labeled? Everything, they answered. Well, let's start then. He stepped out of the front door. It was a fine night and the black sky was dotted with stars. He looked up, sniffed the air, what fun, what fun to be off again, off on the road with dwarves. This is what I have really been longing for, for years. Goodbye, he said, looking at his old home and bowing to the door. Goodbye, Gandalf. Goodbye for the present, Bilbo. Take care of yourself. You are old enough and perhaps wise enough. Take care. I don't care. Don't you worry about me. I am as happy now as I have ever been, and that is saying a great deal. But the time has come. I am being swept off my feet at last, he added. And then in a low voice, as if to himself, he sang softly in the dark. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road is gone, and I must follow if I can. Pursuing it with eager feet, until it joins some longer way where many paths and errands meet, and whether then, I cannot say. He paused, silent for a moment. Then, without another word, he turned away from the lights and voices in the field and tents, and followed by his three companions went round into his garden and trotted down the long, sloping path. He jumped over a low place in the hedge at the bottom and took to the meadows, passing into the night like a rustle of wind in the grass. Gandalf remained for a while, staring after him into the darkness. Goodbye, my dear Frodo, until our next meeting, he said softly, and went back indoors. Music